another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Kleber. This week, we're going to be looking at the case of the Crown on the application of JALO and the Secretary of State for the Home Department. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 4. And imprisonment is one of the oldest concepts in the common law of England and Wales, and this case scrutinises it further by asking the Supreme Court to draw a comparison with the deprivation of liberty under the European Convention on Human Rights. However, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's see what the facts of this case are. The claimant's identity is actually disputed by the Home Office, but he claims to be a Liberian called Ibrahima Jallo, so that is what we will go with for the sake of convenience. Jallo was released from immigration detention on bail back in October 2013, and the very next day he reported to an immigration officer and was given a document that was headed Notice of Restriction, that restricted his movement in accordance with paragraph 2, subparagraph 5 of Schedule 3 to the Immigration Act 1971. These restrictions included a requirement to report to an immigration officer on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, to live only at a specified address in Sunderland, to be electronically tagged, and to remain at home every night from 11pm to 7am the following morning. Failure to comply without reasonable excuse could potentially result in a fine and or imprisonment. In the end, these restrictions were in place from February 2014 through to July 2016, nearly two and a half years. The only reason that they came to an end was that in 2016, the courts held in the case of the Crown on the application of Geddy and Secretary of State for the Home Department, that restrictions imposed in this manner were unlawful. With all that in mind, the current case before us today is a claim by Jallo for damages for false imprisonment, because of the way that he was confined during the two and a half year period without any legal basis. The claim was allowed in High Court, and £4,000 in damages were awarded. The argument by the Home Office, on the other hand, was twofold. Firstly, while the government accepted that the curfew was indeed unlawful, it was not enough to be considered imprisonment at a common law level. Following on from this, even if the curfew was a form of imprisonment at common law, that definition should be modified to match the concept of the deprivation of liberty under Article 5 of the European Convention on Human Rights. That concept has a higher threshold, so it would therefore be unlikely that Jallo would succeed. The Home Office's appeal to the Court of Appeal was rejected, and so they brought these arguments to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick the case up. The justices began with the common law idea of imprisonment, which is probably much broader than the average person on the street might think it to be. While the most obvious example is someone who is actually sent to prison as a result of the criminal justice system, imprisonment is really about any person forcing another person to stay in a confined area for a period of time. That definition does not require a cell or guard because a person's free movement might also be limited by threats of force or, as in this case, legal process. Clearly Jallo was limited in where he could be because of the curfew that forced him to remain at home overnight, and permission would have been required from the Secretary of State for him to be anywhere else. All of this was backed up by the electronic tagging that monitored Jallo's location, as well as the explicit threat that failure to comply would result in a fine and or being sent to prison. 
One of the points raised by the Home Office was that Jallo did actually violate the curfew a number of times to attend religious services or court dates many miles away in Coventry, so he couldn't really be said to be imprisoned. Perhaps unsurprisingly, that didn't hold much water with the justices who drew a comparison with someone who might escape a literal prison. That person might technically not be imprisoned for that short period of time because they are recaptured, but it doesn't change the fact that the time they do spend in prison, or in this analogy, Jallo spends at home, is still a period of imprisonment. There was little doubt that this was imprisonment at common law, but the Supreme Court still had to deal with the second strand of the Home Office's argument, that this definition of imprisonment should be changed to align with the deprivation of liberty under Article 5 of the European Convention on Human Rights. As was noted earlier on, this has a much higher threshold and requires the court to look at a number of factors such as the type, duration and effects of the confinement. By way of example, in the 2007 case of Secretary of State for the Home Department and JJ, it was held that an eight-hour curfew would not be enough to amount to deprivation of liberty. Using case law like this, it was argued by the government's lawyers that the common law definition of imprisonment and the human rights definition of deprivation of liberty should be joined up, meaning that Jallo would not actually be considered to be imprisoned. The justices did not go along with this, and while they noted that the common law does change over time to meet differing attitudes of society, simply aligning the common law with a separate concept under human rights law would be a backward step. While under Article 5 there is a useful distinction between the restriction and deprivation of liberty, that delineation serves no value to the common law concept of imprisonment. Beyond that, at a very fundamental level, restricting the definition of imprisonment to such an extent would mean that the protection that has been offered to the citizens of this country for centuries would be lost overnight. Taking all of this into account, it was decided by the Supreme Court that Jallo had been falsely imprisoned and was entitled to damages. So as we move on to our own analysis, I think I am always careful to avoid swearing in these podcast episodes So I will only say that the argument by the Home Office in this case was flipping insane. Even without taking the actual consequences of the submission into account, the mental gymnastics that you have to do in order to equate one legal concept with an entirely different legal concept simply defies all logic and reason. We could be generous and say that imprisonment and the deprivation of liberty are at least in the same ballpark, but even most first-year law students learn that the higher threshold we see in human rights law does not match up with a common law definition of imprisonment that can trace its roots back to the 17th century. If the changes proposed by the Home Office actually came to pass, then the effects would be catastrophic. We have already stated that a great many cases from the past would have been decided differently, but it is worth drilling down into exactly why imprisonment is a separate concept that has such a long and storied history. The answer lies in the principle that represents the very opposite of imprisonment, liberty. The UK has always had an unwritten constitution that changes over time, but personal liberty has always been, and always will be, a fundamental cornerstone. This quote from Blackstone's commentaries written in the mid-18th century is a long one, but telling. 
Quote, of great importance to the public is the preservation of this personal liberty. For if once it were left in the power of any the highest magistrate to imprison arbitrarily whomever he or his officers thought proper, as in France it is daily practised by the Crown, there would soon be an end of all other rights and immunities. Some have thought that unjust attacks, even upon life or property, at the arbitrary will of the magistrate, are less dangerous to the Commonwealth than such as are made upon the personal liberty of the subject. To bereave a man of life, or by violence to confiscate his estate without accusation or trial, would be so gross and notorious an act of despotism as must at once convey the alarm of tyranny throughout the whole kingdom. But, confinement of the person, by secretly hurrying him to jail, where his sufferings are unknown or forgotten, is a less public, a less striking, and therefore a more dangerous engine of arbitrary government. End quote. Thus we see that freedom from unlawful imprisonment is not just any other tort that results in a claim for damages, but strikes at the very heart of what it means to live in our democracy. It is not only a protection from other people who might try to restrain us, but also a last line of defence against the tyranny of any government that tries to overreach its powers. To seek to undermine that is not only wrong, but also feels like an abdication of responsibility by any right-minded lawyer. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. If you do get a chance, then please do visit the website as well at uklawweekly.com, and you can sign up there to join the mailing list, and also receive a free ebook at the same time just by signing up. So that's uklawweekly.com. Anyway, I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye!